All right, everybody. Hey, welcome. Welcome to New Life today. Glad you guys are here with us. Yeah, I want to say a big shout of hello to those of us that are worshiping and the North Platte location. That is awesome. They're live with us right now, and we're glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Um, we've got people worshiping with us in our main auditorium, down in the venue, which meets in the gym, as well as out of North Platte today. So it's a great, great day. If you're a guest with us in any one of those venues, I want to personally say thank you for coming and worshiping with us. I know you could have picked any church. You could have gone to a number of different places, but you walk through the doors of a New Life venue, and we are totally excited about that. My name's Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here at New Life. And so it's a real joy to serve at this church. Thank you for honoring us. Uh, thank you. You honor us in so many ways. I had an opportunity to record a, about a 19 to 20 minute conversation with the guys on uh, MyBridge Radio. And they asked me one of the questions, which was, how can a, how can a uh, congregant at a church really show appreciation to a pastor? And I went on to tell them, a bunch of different things, but a couple of the pieces that stood out to me were, you know, when you come up to your pastor and you say to him, not just the words, that's a good message, pastor, right? Because you, you, we hear that a lot. But when you share things like, let me tell you what God spoke to me today. Now, that is, that honors the heart of a pastor. When he hears how you're saying, you know, this is how God spoke to me. And when you pray for us. So thank you for being such a loving congregation. Thank you for being such a, an accepting group of people. I think we have a tremendous staff, um, including Dave and Tiff, who serve with us out in North Platte as our campus pastors. Here in Kearney, you rarely get to see them, but they are rock stars in North Platte. So I'm excited for them. <clears throat> but I want to say to you, we really value and appreciate your prayers. So thank you very much. Hey, we're in week two of uh, I Am Second. This, uh, this new teaching series, if you're brand new with us, don't worry. Each Sunday is a standalone. You, you haven't really missed out on a lot. In fact, if you feel like you did miss out, uh, I told my personal story last week. I sat in the white chair, and all the lights went dim, and one solo light came on me, and I shared it. If you missed that, please go to mynewlifechurch.com, where you can watch last week's service. It's archived there. In fact, there are archived sermons there for, from a long time ago. So you can kind of really see who we are and i think that's kind of cool today we're going to continue the journey of how can which by the way i think i'm trying to wear this shirt to make a make a statement just so that everybody knows if you were here on week one my you might be able to figure out this statement if you if you can't then you're thinking what sports team has a black uniform and a number two because that just doesn't look right i don't know but what i'm trying to say is that jesus is first and jeff baker is second and I just want the world to know that. And I want to remind you of it. So every time you stare at me and you see this big number two, I want the Holy Spirit to be saying to you, that's where I want you to be. I want you to be number two so that Christ can be number one. Amen? That's where we're at. So today we're going to talk about your struggles, though. Yeah? You guys are each going to have the opportunity this Sunday to sit in the chair and confess all your struggles to the congregation. Are you guys ready for this service? It's going to last for the rest of the day. Some of you are going to be criers. Some of you guys, we're going to have to pry it out of you, right? The truth isn't the truth, though, that we all have struggles. Yeah, we all have struggles. We all have sin that's pulling at the cords of our heart, pulling at the cords of our mind, pulling at the cords of our flesh, attempting to lead us off track to become someone other than what Christ wants us to be. 
we all have struggles and we struggle in all kinds of different ways now some crazy things that you struggle with are maybe you know frivolous like you've bought all the groceries at the grocery store and now you're going to be that person that's going to try to carry all the bags in at once are you one of those kind of people that was actually me last week um i can't quite pull it off right now um but no yeah you know i mean husbands you know what i mean right your wife pulls up and she walks in with a couple of bags and then she goes can you help me with the rest and you look at her bags and it's like toilet paper tissue lettuce right like what's in the car is like salt for the water softener um 50 pound bags of that you know huge things it's it's awesome i love serving in that capacity but yeah you try to do that here's some other ways that maybe you struggle when you try to use the wrong tool for a job right such as a high heel shoe to drive a nail in the wall have any are any of you guilty of that all right just a couple people only my wife she's the only one to raise her hand she literally did that right here but when you use the wrong tool to get the job done those are some of the moments where i've almost lost my salvation if that was even possible at that moment i mean you get frustrated right man you gotta have the right tool to get it done you struggle through getting the job done have you ever struggled through trying to drive while you're sleepy and falling asleep does that ever happen to you what are your remedies are your remedies like some of that i've listed here i you pull over you get a, a, a cup of ice and you chew on ice yeah, you know, it's not dental approved, but you chew on the ice to try to stay awake. Maybe it's cold and you roll you roll down roll down the window. Who who rolls down the window? <laughs> now, no, the funny thing is I actually do roll down the window, right? But I'm not driving in Britain. I'm driving in America, all right? Just so you know, right? Steering wheel, drive, roll the window down. I so saw I was like, "What? Who does this?" All right. Anyways, I shift the gears with this man. All right. So, yeah, you, you, uh, you, you maybe call a friend that you haven't talked to forever to try to keep yourself awake. Or maybe you're like my father-in-law who was in winter. This is a true story. He's falling asleep. He says he rolls down his window, sticks his head out to try to get the cold air to wake him up. And he wakes up while his tires are going off the pavement, you know, because his head's hanging out the window asleep now. So that's a true story. That's a true story. And he's lived to tell about it. So that's awesome. Maybe you struggle in some other ways, like studying to take a test for some of you students that are here with all of the distractions, the distractions of your Facebook account going bling, bling, right? Your Twitter account coming alive. All of a sudden you remember you got to buy something at Amazon or you got to check some video on YouTube or listen to some music on Pandora. You're just bombarded with hunger and video games and friends and texting, right? There's a lot of struggle in this world. Some of it, like what I've mentioned, is kind of frivolous at times. But there's other struggle, like the struggle to say no to the temptation of sin that easily entangles you and pulls you down. That's, now, that's a real struggle. And that struggle, knowing that struggle, can mean life or death for you. What about the struggle of trying to get up to come to church? Any of you go through that struggle today? It's one thing when you have kids, you got someone to blame it on right but if you're like my wife and i and the kids are gone you don't have anybody to blame it on anymore you can blame it on the dog that only works once or twice there's a struggle though isn't it isn't it interesting sometimes how there's a struggle on sunday morning you love your spouse every day of the week and then bam something happens on sunday morning it can become a struggle now, that struggle is not not an accident it's a roadblock being thrown in your path do you maybe you struggle at times finding time to read the bible finding times to pray that's a real struggle for us 
It's a struggle for me at times. Maybe you struggle to put God first in your finances and to honor him with a tithe, which means a 10% right off the top. I know when I was raised as a kid, I was taught to do that from the beginning. So that's not really one of my struggles. But it might be for you because I've heard from many of you that that's something that, man, God's had to kind of cultivate and grow in your life. So taking that step, there's a struggle there. God, am I going to trust you with this 10%? Yeah, and God's going to trust me with it, and I'm going to do something great in your life. Others of you have a struggle, which is what we're really dealing with today, about telling your story. You don't feel confident. You don't feel secure. You don't feel comfortable telling your story because you keep looking at all of your struggles. We all have these life-controlling issues. We all have these sin habits. We all have these things that could easily trip us up at any given moment. And the reason why I know that is because we all have a sin nature, right? We're all going to face these things. We're all in this boat together today, right? That's kind of where we're at. And today, what, we're gonna, what we want to look at is if you don't deal with the struggles, the struggles become your lifestyle, and the lifestyle keeps you from sharing the story of God's grace and God's truth and God's power. But Jesus has come to give you freedom. Jesus has come to heal you from your struggle and to set you free once and for all and to bring power and to bring authority to your story. That's what he, that's what he did. He wants to take all your current struggles and he wants to help you conquer them so that yours, your story has power and authority for the world to hear. Man, when you read Jesus, when you read Jesus in the Bible, that's what you see him doing. He's going from one person to the next person, bringing healing to them so that they can turn around and tell others. He brings healing to them so they can walk it out. And in Mark chapter 5, which is where we're going to be preaching out of today, so if you have a Bible or you're using your smartphone and you're using our U version, Mark chapter 5 is where you find this man who has been demon-possessed and he runs in to Jesus. And it's an amazing encounter that this man has with all of his struggles as he encounters Jesus. And today, that's what we're going to be preaching out of. We have one of our New Life Drama members that's going to do a monologue to help you understand what this encounter was like with Jesus from the perspective of the man who had all the struggles. Take a listen. People used to think that I was crazy. I don't mean they thought I was strange or a little weird or that I had a lot of energy. They actually believed that I was insane the type of guy that you lock away in an asylum somewhere and forget about. I guess Insane described it well enough. But I always knew that it was more than just a chemical imbalance. There was something deeper going on inside of me. I never really knew how to describe it. I, I don't know how much of it was me or how much of it was something else or someone else acting through me. All I know is that my life was completely out of control and I and everyone around me was powerless to do anything about it. I lost my family. I lost my job. I started sleeping in a cemetery, in a cave near the cemetery. Eventually, I stopped sleeping. I would be so crazed and out of my mind that I would be up for days 
roaming and screaming and shouting at anything and at nothing. My life was completely unrecognizable. I was a normal guy with a normal job, a normal life, a normal set of clothes, but I lost it all. I started getting arrested for public indecency. The courts would try to straighten me out, but nothing ever helped. I'd always end up back on the streets, back in the crazy, uncontrollable spiral that was my life. My family took me to doctors. They took me to religious leaders, but no one could ever help me. No one could help me, and no one can contain me. I think they just all tried to forget about me. I know my family certainly did. I don't even blame them. I caused them so much pain, so much embarrassment. Then one day this man approached me. He was different. I was crazed and naked and filthy as ever, and he looked right at me. With, and he was completely calm and in control. There was none of the hatred and fear that I was so used to seeing in other people's eyes. Seeing such power and such calmness, it frightened me. I never met anyone like him before. He said something, but when he spoke, it wasn't like he was speaking to me. It's, it was like he was speaking to what was inside of me. can't even describe it, but when he spoke, the haze that had so long clouded my eyes blew away. The craziness that had flooded my head for so long fell utterly and completely calm. The insanity left. I remember standing there staring into his calm and loving eyes, seeing the power and the strength and the softness in his face. I fell to my knees, unable to express the thanks that welled up in my eyes. But he heard it nonetheless. With a few simple words, I was cured. I had my life back. You may still think I'm crazy to be talking about a man who, with a few simple words, cured my insanity. But let the calmness in my voice, the soundness of my mind, and the clothes on my body testify that Jesus made this crazy man well. And that's the story I will tell until I draw my last breath. I was the insane man, but now I am second. All right, it's just a different way to read the Bible, to hear it from the personal perspective, uh, the paraphrased version of it. Um, we're going to dig into Mark chapter 5 right now for a little while and just kind of unpack it and see, you know, how it relates to our lives. The first thing that we have to realize is that this man had many different struggles. And if our story is going to be one that Christ can use, where we live as second and Jesus is as first, then we have to be real with what is controlling your story. What is controlling your story, though? We know many of the things that control this man's story. In fact, we can kind of look at Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, to kind of see 
how this man was really controlled. Take a look at it. It says that when Jesus got out of the boats, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Uh, For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This guy was controlled with a lot of different issues in his life. I mean, not even to mention the fact that, you know, he's also demon-possessed. This guy is, he's over the top, granted, yes. But what's the backstory on a guy like this? You heard a little bit of it. I mean, if we could have a little bit of freedom, I'd like to kind of draw a quick picture for you of the potential backstory of him. One thing we do know from Scripture is that he had a family. So let's speculate on that for a moment just to make it real for us. The man has a family. He has a wife. He has children. He had a job at some point. The man would be out in the community, be found in the public square. He would show up to maybe some of his children's events at school. He would be found maybe hunting. The man probably had hobbies. He had a lifestyle. He interacted with others. What would bring a man to the point of finding himself living in a cemetery, sleeping in the tombs, insane out of his mind and filled with multiple demons? What causes that to happen? What's the initiator? What what caused the motion to start taking place that drives the man to this extreme lifestyle now? Was it a divorce that happened in his life that just threw him off kilter and he just started going in the wrong direction? Was it some words, some actions that someone that he loved or that he cared about that did something to him that started him off on a road that he's not going to let God be first um, and him be second, but now he's going to be first. He's going to protect himself. He's going to take care of himself. Was it that he lost his job? Was it that a boss, you know, stabbed him in the back, promised one thing, but gave something different? What caused the man to turn from everything that was normal and become this other man? Possibly could it be also his foolish decisions of following his own sinful nature? Yes. It could be a number of those things. I guarantee you the last one I mentioned was a definite. The man made many different foolish decisions following his own sinful nature until he comes to this current condition of his life where he's homeless, he has multiple different addictions, he's in complete spiritual bondage, his relationships are destroyed, he rages with anger, and he's completely depressed and hopeless, and he's filled with multiple demons. Let me ask you a question today. Who wakes up one morning and says, that's the life that I'm going to shoot for? Who wakes up one day and says, that's the guy I'm going to become? That's who I'm aspiring to be. Nobody does. It's a slow degrade that starts at the beginning where you decide it's okay to be first. That degrades and it degrades until all of a sudden all the wheels fall off of your life. All the wheels fall off of your marriage. All the wheels fall out of the relationships. All the wheels fall off of your finances. Everything erodes and it falls apart when we allow our struggles to dictate and to mandate to us who we're going to be. There's this moment where we have to stand up and we have to say, I'm not going to allow the struggles of my life, which all of us have them, 
I'm going to be a person that stands up with the authority and the power of Christ who is in me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, by the way. The Bible says that. It's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. And we're going to stand up and we're going to say, I'm not going to let my lifestyle be mandated to the world. They see me through my struggles and my addictions. I'm going to be the man that comes and lays those things down so that I can be more productive for God's kingdom, so that I can be more like Christ, walking in the image and the likeness of Christ, which, by the way, is what it means to be a Christian. What would it be like if you wanted to be a marathon runner? Anybody here, anybody listening to my voice ever ran in a marathon? Anybody here tried to run in a marathon and then didn't make it? How about just like a 5K? (laughs) Okay, all right, good, good. I ran a 5K once, and that's when I said, from now now on, I will be the pace car, all right? I will get in my car, and I will drive, but I'm not running again. Painful, very painful. This physique is not made for running long distances. It's made more for, like, hockey and things like that. So could you imagine, though, being a distant runner? Like, you're going to run a full marathon, 20 some miles whatever that is you're going to run that thing but yet when you go to run it someone puts a backpack on your back and they put 80 pounds of extra weight inside of there you think you're going to be a competitor in that marathon no you think you're going to finish the marathon most likely no see that's what it's like to call yourself a christian to proclaim your life to be like christ but yet never deal with your struggles just go My struggles are okay. They're in the backpack. They're hidden out of sight. No one else sees them. No one else knows them. Yeah, but you're not a competitor in the kingdom either. You're not efficient in the kingdom either. You're not making an impact for God's kingdom. You're just going through the motions. The race goes by. Hours and hours later, you come. I'm going to catch up with those guys one of these days. Yeah, you're never going to catch up unless you let Christ reach into the backpack of your life and start pulling out the struggles. But you go, yeah, but if you pull out my struggles, man, then people are going to know about them. Yep, they just might. Yeah, but I'll be embarrassed. Yeah, you, you just might. But stop looking at the negatives and start looking at the freedom. Stop looking at your fears and start looking at what God can do. That's the attitude that we need to have. So when we look at the story in Mark chapter 5 of the demon-possessed man, I guarantee you that some of you know that story, or you heard it spoke from one of our actors that was sitting up here, uh, from Tobias, and you said to yourself, oh, poor man. Poor man. He lost it all. Poor man to have all those demons. Poor man to be in such a devastating state of his life. Poor man. I feel sorry for that man. But today I'm not bringing the story up so that you feel sorry for a man that's found his story in the Bible. In fact, we're bringing it up so that you can see how you're more like him than maybe you might want to confess. Yeah. Now maybe not to his extreme, but some of you out here, you have relationships that are all strained like he had. Some of you have financial conditions that are completely unhealthy just like he had. Some of you have bad habits that are demanding all of your attention. They're screaming at you just like he has. And many of us in this room have sin that lurks in the darkness 
of our private lives where no one else knows about it. It's the struggles deep down in the backpack that no one else knows, but yet you want to be efficient, yet you want to run with everything you have inside of you, but your struggles keep holding you back like large bungee cords. Today, I've got good news for you. If you'll come to Christ like this man does, and you'll humble yourself before him, and you'll say, God, I don't want to be this man. I don't want to be this woman. I want my struggles to be, to be controlled by you. I want you to be the leader and the Lord of my life. I'm telling you that Jesus wants to start something in your life, but you're going to have to be honest with him, brutally honest. That's why the white chair. The white chair is for brutal honesty. Sit down, share your story. If I asked every single one of you to get up here, some of you would pass out in fear. Some of you would literally vomit in one of our auditoriums. Because you would know, I've got to be that honest? I don't think I can do it. Yeah, but if you know there's a struggle that's controlling you, honesty before God is your first move. Come, lay your life down, let Jesus be the Lord and leader. He can take you on a journey like you've never seen before. Because Jesus wants to do something. Jesus, he wants to begin the healing process. True healing begins with Jesus. Take a look at this man's story. Take a look at with me in uh, Mark chapter 5, in verse 6. It says that when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, he ran to meet him, and he bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. Pause for a second. Instantly. What's the shriek? The shriek is a demon who is speaking through the man. What does the demon say? Why do you mess with me, Son of the Most High God? You need to know something today. I don't care what struggle it is you're facing with, the Son of the Most High God, Jesus himself, will meet with you in this place and start the healing process. That's bonus material. In, it wasn't in my notes. That's all I mean by that. All right, let's continue. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. The demon continues to speak through the man. Verse 8. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now let's jump ahead to verse 15. It says, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there. Look at him now. He's fully clothed, and he's perfectly sane. And what were they? They were all afraid. Jesus frees the man from his bondage, frees the man from his addictions, frees the man from all the demons that are torturing his mind and torturing his flesh, right? However, what we need to know today, and being brutally straight with you, Jesus leaves the man in that condition. You're like, well, man, that's not too bad to be left in. Right? I mean, he's freed of his addiction. He's freed of the demons. I mean, that's a pretty good way to be left, right? Except for the fact we do know, biblically, the man has a family. Jesus doesn't go with him back to his family and do some marriage counseling between him and his wife. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus tells the man, you just go back to your family. But he doesn't go to heal that. Jesus doesn't go back to the bank or to the lender of the man who, you know, maybe wasted all and squandered all of his finances and stand there like a lawyer would and go, hey, listen, let's rectify this situation. Can you forgive this man's debt? Can we just wipe it clean and let him go about his way? Jesus doesn't go with the man back to his boss 
and, you know, tell his boss, hey, listen, I know that this guy, man, he's been whacked out. Whacked out. All right? But he needs his job back. Would you please give him his job back? Notice that Jesus sets the man free. He begins the healing process, but there is still much that's left to be done. One thing I know about Jesus, though, when he begins a good work, he's faithful to complete it in you if you'll allow him to. You'll identify with this man more if you're someone who has had a baby or you've had a child. All all babies are a gift from God. Life, my friends, is a gift from God. Amen? Okay. Life is a gift from God. So here you are, and I remember our first one, Brittany, uh, who was born Christian. Our youngest is actually with us today, so I'm so proud to have her with us. Um, So... So let's just go with Christian's little story, okay? Because when she came out, she was cute, and she obeyed everything that her mom and dad said, and oh, that's a different story. My bad. Okay. Um, she's this baby, right? And here she is with us. What a blessing she is from God. But guess what God didn't do? I didn't go home from the hospital, get online, and check my bank account and find that God, oh, God, you also gave me $100,000 to pay for and to raise this child. God didn't do that. Nor did I get home and check my email and go, you know, bling, I got a new email. Yeah, it's from the real Jesus in the real heaven, dot heaven, dot com. Like the real Jesus. I didn't get an email from from heaven that says hey by the way here's the owner's manual it's been you know uniquely designed just for christian i wish i had one you wish you had one but you didn't see god gave life but he didn't give you all the finances to take care of it god gave life but he didn't give you the owner's manual jesus provides the healing but there's still work that has to be done our struggles right Our struggles when we sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit can be brought to God and laid down before Him, but there's still human intention involved. There's still human will involved. There's still this human peace that needs to follow through and act out on that healing that Jesus brings to our struggles. That's why you find in James chapter 2, verse 26, words like this. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is, what? Dead without good works. There is a good work that Jesus is asking you to fulfill. He begins the healing process. And he wants to finish it. But he's looking for your human intention to line up with his Holy Spirit conviction. So the question for you today is if the struggles of this world are keeping you bound and they're holding you down and they're keeping your story from being proclaimed and they're driving you to be number one instead of number two, the question you've got to answer is, What are the good works that Jesus is asking me to continue to do so that I can continue walking out this freedom? So instead of blaming God for the things that aren't happening the way you think they should happen, maybe what we should be doing is, God, what are the good works that you still want me to flesh out, you still want me to walk out, to continue the healing that you've begun? Why is that so important? Because Jesus believes something about us that many times we don't believe about ourselves. And that is, he believes that your story should begin to be told immediately. Look what happens in Mark chapter 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Stop right there for a moment. 
This is towards the end of the story. Jesus has healed the man, right? But the people of the community come out and they see this transformed man and they're afraid. And instead of responding correctly, they respond just the opposite. And they tell Jesus, please, man, get in the boat and get out of here, right? You, you just, you sent those demons into these pigs. These pigs ran down the hill, if you read the whole story, into the lake. 2,000 pigs die in a lake. You, you, you took 2,000 of our pigs away from us. And by the way, you, you, you transformed this guy in a crazy way. I'm, if you can change his life, you can dabble into his life. I don't want you dabbling into my life. I'm happy just the way I am. Please, Jesus, you and your disciples get back on the boat and get out of here. Notice the gentleman of God who gets back in the boat and he leaves. But the demon-possessed man's going, hey, hold on, don't leave me here with all these people. I know you. You're powerful. I know you. You are great. And he begs to go with him. So you would assume a kind, compassionate, generous God who sends his son to die on the cross and our, ha- our names are engraved into his hands would say, welcome into the boat, my son. But no, Jesus said to him, no, go home. Go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you. And how merciful he's been. Now, watch what the man does. So the man started off to visit his family. Did he? The man starts off, sure, he visits his family, but he doesn't keep it contained to his family. The man starts off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim, began to preach, began to get in squares, began to get in public places and start proclaiming how amazing God is. He starts talking about the great things that Jesus has done for him. That's what he talks about because that's all he knows. How long has the guy been with Jesus? One afternoon. One afternoon. You're like, I don't have a Bible degree, man. I can't really proclaim my story to anybody. You don't have to have four years, six years of a Bible degree, one afternoon with Jesus, and he's out in the streets proclaiming the great things that God's done to him. And look, everyone was amazed at what he told them. Everyone. Jesus tells the man, no, you can't go with me. He heals him. He sets him free right he just he he just does amazing things in his life but yet he tells the man no what do we see from the man we see from the man total humility we see from the man complete surrender we see from the man a perfect example of obedience the man takes the message i guarantee you he went back to his home and he told the story but then he looked at his family and he said to them this can't just stay between us And he starts going around from his village to the next village to the next village. And he goes to the ten villages that are nearby. And he's preaching and he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And I just think that is awesome. When was the last time that you had something that happened to you that you couldn't keep to yourself? When was the last time something so powerful and so dynamic had happened to you that you just couldn't keep it on the inside? Everybody had to know. When was it? Well, if you can't remember one, I'll take you back to a moment, right? Somewhere around your fifth birthday, you got the gift that you just had to have, right? Right? It was that pony head on a stick, you know? It was one of those. Like, no one else really cares about what the gift is, but you care about it. 
And you're like, I got my cowboy hat on. I got my pony hat on a stick. I got my six shooters with those little pieces of paper that went in them that you went pop, pop, pop. And you just told everybody about it, didn't you? That's what I did. I remember bringing my birthday gifts to church when I was that age. Telling my friends, look what I got for my birthday. I probably had to sneak them in in some winter coat because my birthday was in January. So I had a lot of storage space. Maybe you were a girl and you got that special doll with that special little bag with the little itsy-bitsy diapers and wipes and bottles and binkies and all the other things that go with that. And don't, don't ask me why I know about all that stuff. Right? And you brought it around and you told everybody. You told people you didn't even, they didn't even care. You made them care about your gift. By the time you were done, they're like crying, like, oh, she's so sweet. Who is she? I don't know. <laughs> Right? I mean, it's just, you couldn't keep it on the inside. And now we've got Facebook and Twitter, and you tell everything about you all the time, and we don't even care. But when Jesus does some kind of amazing work inside of your life, you want to do what it says in the Bible. You want to get up on the rooftop, and you want to shout it out, and you want to tell the world, look what God's done. So why don't we? Why is it so hard to stand up on the rooftop and to shout like the man who knew Jesus just for a few hours and had his life radically transformed by him? Why do we find that so hard? Because we allow these kind of excuses to control us. If this man would have waited around and some religious leader would have come to him and would have said, hey, just keep this little jesus moment hush hush until we really can tell whether the true healing of your life has you know really done its work just stay quiet until the trueness of all of it has worked out the guy would have heard that 10 10 cities never would have heard the message if the guy would have gone well my life isn't completely fixed i've just started this a day one of the healing wait till it's completely fixed then Ten cities would never have heard the good news of Jesus. If the man would have said, my story is, it's not worth telling anybody. Who wants to hear my story? I'm the laughing stock of the community. I'm a nobody. I got no voice. I have no authority, no influence. Nobody wants to hear my story. If he would have believed that, ten cities never would have heard the story of Jesus. But instead, he was a man that was bold. He was a man who experienced true freedom. He was a man who experienced instantaneously what it meant to go from number one to number two, and he was completely content. And he boldly went out into the world to proclaim the story of his past and of his present and and of how they could be in their future. That's what our church is about. And here in our church, I've asked one man. His his name is Dwayne Utek. Dwayne is going to come, and he's going to share with you in an open open book kind of a story a story of how Dwayne was first but how he became second why don't you take a listen I grew up in northeast Nebraska on a farm we were very poor at that time even though I didn't realize it after graduation from high school, I went to the Army. I spent my year in Vietnam. And after I was discharged, I used the GI Bill to go to college and get my degree in education. 
I started teaching in Northeast Nebraska. At the age of 34, I became superintendent of schools. That was quite an ego boost to me. I thought, I'm 34 years old and I'm superintendent. I was president of the local chamber of commerce. I was president of the church congregation. Um, I thought I, I had it made. I must have been pretty good to do that. Life went on, it was good. Uh, soon there were a few bumps in the road. There were some struggles uh, at work. A large group of people who thought the Board of Education spent too much money, a group of people that supported a private school thought it wasn't fair, and started coming to every board meeting and challenging every expenditure and every bill. During that time, those several months, I, um, I contacted our attorney for help. I contacted our auditor for help, asked them to come in and be at the meetings. I don't recall ever asking God to help me and to take care of that and give me the strength to do what I needed to do. I thought it was, I was in charge and, and somebody else could help me. In 2001, I moved to Ravenna to become superintendent of schools there. Again, life started off very, very good. I started drinking um, socially to meet more people. I had always enjoyed drinking, and it was always a social event for me. But it was, I drank more and more because I met more and more people. It was um, kind of a relief of stress. And as time went on, I just would go out and drink often. And it became an issue. My wife would ask me to, to not go out, and I was like, mm, no, that's all right, I'll be home early. And I would get home early in the morning uh, after drinking all night, and I would get on Facebook and put in inappropriate things I thought were funny at the time, and the next morning I would realize that wasn't too good of a deal. I would call my friends and say, uh, what happened last night? And it was usually an episode that I embarrassed myself and the community and the school. Mm -hmm life was going kind of downhill but I didn't realize it I was just I was just having a good time and then in 2010 the board of education decided they gave me an option the option was to go to alcohol treatment or find another job so I went to Grand Island to the VA hospital for a month for alcohol treatment during that time uh, I was introduced to a 12-step program and I did the first three steps there of the 12-step program. And step three was to turn your life and your will over to the care of God. And I did that. So I thought everything was okay. I came back, went to work. I had the support of the community, and everybody was, was very, very supportive. Um, things were going okay, but I would still find time when things weren't as good as I thought they should be. I was sober. Everything should be fine now. And there were still problems. Um, then I realized that you know, I turned my, my life and my will over to God one time, but I need to do that every day and let him in control of my life and not, not me trying to take care of things myself. In 2012, April 15th of 2012, um, my wife and I came to church at New Life, the first day time we walked in the doors, and it was an amazing experience for me. My life was changed forever. I sat in the second row where we still sit every Sunday and Pastor Wine was speaking and I was like I didn't understand how this person could be saying everything and it was directly for me well, how could this person do that when I had never met him but that day I became a born again Christian a few months later in November of 2012 I was baptized 
and my life has changed. I attend Bible studies. I go to small groups. I still continue in a 12-step program. But I have to be encouraged and, and held accountable that I still need to turn my life and my will over to God. Not once, but every single day of my life, I need to turn my will over to him and put him number one in my life. Life is much better when I do that. My name is Dwayne Utek, and I'm number two. That reminds me of what the people said in verse 20 when the, the man went to share his story and they said that they were all what? They were amazed. And I'm amazed when I hear stories like guys like Dwayne. And I want to tell Dwayne, keep telling your story. And I want to keep telling you, keep telling your story. Jesus is still in the business of healing the struggling soul. Jesus still has a passion and a heart. And Jesus still has the power and authority to take your story and to take it from just a story of struggles and to turn it into a story of power and authority if you let him. To do that means you got to respond to Jesus like the man did who was struggling. What did he do? Remember what he did? In verse 6, take a look at what he did. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. That's our response today. Take your struggles. Take your habits. Take your addictions. Take your messed up relationships. Take your finances that are screwed up. Take the things that are holding your story in bondage. Take the things that are causing you shame and guilt. Take the things that are causing the voice inside of your head to say, you're a hypocrite, you're a fraud, you're a failure, you're nothing. Your story's not worthy to be told. Take all of those things and come to the feet of Jesus. Run to him and lay your life down. That's why we say here at New Life all the time that the altars are for the hungry. The hungry. Run to Jesus and lay your life down. Run to here, run to these altars, even today, when our worship teams come in a moment, and lay your life down and go, Jesus, I need you to be the Lord and leader of my life. Maybe you need to make him number one for the first time in your life. Or maybe you need him to help you with things that you're struggling with, to give you strength to get through it. Maybe you need to help him open up your eyes so that you can see the struggle more clearly. I don't know what it is, but the altars are for the hungry, just like the man the man that Jesus ran into that day as he climbed out of the boat at a random place on the other side of the lake. And the man came running to Jesus and kneels down before him. Let's let that be our response today. As we wrap up today's message, I want you to see one short testimony from a man by the name of Josh Hamilton who plays professional baseball. And then our worship teams are going to come and they're going to lead us. And that's your moment to respond to God. Take a look. I went down a path of destruction. You know, I actually got suspended from baseball. And it wasn't because of anybody else. It was because of the way I was living, the choices I was making. Everything in my life up until this point, I could do them all. I didn't need help from anybody. I was good at everything. And this the drugs and the alcohol, I couldn't stop doing it. And I wanted to do more. It was, it was just, it was, it was chaos. 
you know, there was this guy in his suit, dark suit, and, you know, I was, I was fighting him, and, you know, I know, I, I know it was the devil, because I was fighting him and beating him and knocking him down, and, and he just had this cold smirk on his face, and he just kept getting up and coming after me and coming after me, and, you know, I was to the point where I was worn out, and I, and I couldn't fight anymore, and I woke up. The next night, I asked God, I said, I said, I need help. I said, I, I, I've been trying to do this so long that I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't try anymore. I said, because I fell on my own. You do with me what you want to do with me. But I surrendered.